This is Archive Atlanta, episode 209, Women of Atlanta, part one. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lamos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. March is Women's History Month, and I have been researching women you know, for as long as I've been doing the podcast, it's my very favorite topic. And so while I was brainstorming for an episode idea, I realized that I had a huge collection of women on my list whose stories were very short. And I mean that in terms of research, not like the length of their lives or the quality of their achievements. And I think that's where I got really, really frustrated. I kept coming across these women in the archives, finding out they did groundbreaking things, and then also realizing like, I don't even have enough to do a mini episode about them. But patriarchy be damned. This week, I have collected these shorter stories into one episode about three women, and I'm calling it part one because I hope to do many more parts. I got like nine or ten more women on the list. The first woman we're going to talk about today is Eliza Ann Greer, or Greer. I'm going to say Greer. It's G-R-I-E-R. She has a very short, about a year-long connection to Atlanta, but I am going to use it to share her amazing story. Born in 1864 in southwestern North Carolina to parents George and Emily, as a black child, even though she was born after the Emancipation Proclamation, um, because she was born before the end of the Civil War, in a lot of articles she is being described as being enslaved until she is a couple years old. Her obituary noted that she attended the Scotia Seminary in North Carolina, which was the first historically black female institution of higher learning established after the Civil War. By 1884, she had enrolled at Fisk University in Nashville, where she alternated years of coursework and then working to put herself through college. So like one year she'd go to school, one year she would work. And so because of that, she graduated in 1891 and she moved to Augusta, Georgia, where she taught at the Haynes Normal and Industrial Institute. In 1893, she began her studies at the Women's Medical College in Pennsylvania, and she graduated in 1897 and became one of the very few African-American female physicians in the United States at the time. In October of 1897, Eliza Greer stood before four of the five white physicians who made up the State Medical Examiners of Georgia Review Board. There were 12 applicants that year, or whatever month, however it worked, that applied. Four were black and only one was a woman. All were granted their licenses, making Eliza the first black woman licensed to practice medicine in the state of Georgia. Now, she appears in Atlanta city directories one year, and so that was 1898, so the year after she got her license, and her address is 152 Gray Street. In 1898, the North American Medical Review stated that Greer was, quote, found to be thoroughly informed in her profession, end quote. By 1900, Eliza was practicing in Greenville, South Carolina, also working to start a school for what was then called, quote unquote, colored nurses. Now, sadly, in 1901, Dr. Greer contracts tuberculosis. She's only 39 years old. She knew she was going to die. And so she actually starts selling off horses that she owned, properties, all her possessions, so that she could send the money to her family. And she died in April of 1902 in Albany, Georgia, and she is buried in her hometown of Charlotte. The second woman we're talking about today is the first woman in the South to graduate with a landscape architecture degree. 
Leah Elizabeth Christ was born in 1911 to Nelson and Victoria. Now, her father, Nelson, was a landscape designer originally from Walden, New York. Fun fact, that's like three towns over from where I grew up in New York. And he moved to Atlanta around 1908 to consult with then-mayor Robert Maddox about the growing city of Atlanta's horror cultural needs. Not sure exactly, but some kind of consultation. They liked him so much that by 1910, he had been appointed the city forester. And he later went on to join H.G. Hastings Seed Company, where he worked for the next 27 years. So in 1916, the Chris bought a house along Stokes Avenue in Westview that still stands today. And Leah, and I'm saying Leah, it could be Lee, it's L-E-A-H, I'm gonna go with Leah. Um, Leah's granddaughter actually wrote me an email last year or even longer than that, telling me that the grandparents designed and built this house. Now, it's no surprise that she followed in her father's footsteps of landscape design. And she went on to attend the University of Georgia, graduating in 1933 with her Bachelor of Science in Landscape Agriculture. UGA had only established that degree in 1928, and it was the only one of its kind in the South. Her senior thesis was the master plan of the Frank Neely farm that was on the Chattahoochee River. Christ was the only girl in her class of 15, and the newspaper writes that she, quote, mastered engineering, forestry, art, chemistry, physics, architecture, botany, horticulture, and liberal arts in preparation for her degree in landscaping, which seems rather an ambitious program for a mere slip of a girl who is essentially feminine, end quote. In 1935, the papers announced the engagement of Leah and Harold Lee Bush. They married shortly thereafter, and by the 1950 census, they have two children who are 12 and 8. And the family lived just one block or so from that Christ family home that was on um, Stokes Avenue. And Harold was a civil engineer, first with Georgia Power, and then later a partner in the firm of Bush, Steed, and Boyd. Now, Harold died in 1974 and Leah in 1989 at the age of 78. So while her obituary described her as a retired landscape architect, I couldn't exactly find her projects. I don't know if she worked as part of her husband's company or did personal projects, um, but that is how she was described when she passed. The third and final woman of today's episode is Nora Granger Webb. And so this started where I was doing some research on an apartment building, came across her name really quick. And then about a year and a half ago, I was working with a group of women architects that were looking to discover and celebrate, you know, more women in this field. It's a very male-dominated field. And I started reading more about Nora. And then I realized that you know, she might be up there or or deserving credit with Dozier and Wilburn. So I covered both Henrietta Dozier and Leila Ross Wilburn um, many episodes ago that I can't remember right now, the two female, first female architects in the state of Georgia. And again, as I explored Nora's story, I realized that she was designing and building her own homes and apartments in Atlanta. Nora was born in 1858 in Kentucky. She married Walter Goodrich Webb in 1882. Their son Earl was born in 1885. Now, Walter was a Confederate veteran, and they had moved to Atlanta around 1912. He died, He I can't remember if he had an illness, but he died in 1919. Now, Nora goes and she starts the Webb Construction Company in 1921. She is 63 years old. And it had its offices first in the Petrie Arcade and then later in the Atlanta Trust Company building. 
She had a really small team. I think it was five or six of them. Um, Her son was one of the executives. But my favorite was that another woman uh, named only as Gussie Ivy was in charge of the real estate department. In that same year, Web Construction was listed in the paper under permit notices saying that they were going to build a home designed by Layla Ross Wilburn. So I also love that these two women are coming together. By 1922, Web Construction had built the Walter and the Earl apartments, which are still standing today on North Highland. And then the papers say that she sketches the design for each and every one of her buildings and homes. In 1924, Nora's work really took off as she designed and built 50 homes in Linwood. And so that's off, again, I think it's off North Highland. Um, There's a road called Linwood, but many roads in there, as well as seven apartment buildings. And again, she is 65 years old. This is, I mean, we don't even credit women in their 60s today, let alone in the 1920s. Now, her son, Earl, there's a little bit of drama. He's having some medical issues in the 1930s. Um, He was very sick. In 1932, he is indicted on embezzlement charges. He was basically made the receiver after the Walter and the Earl apartments were put into receivership. Um, He was in charge. He mismanaged some funds. And he died in the same year. So in 1932, at the age of 47. Nora Webb died in April of 1939, and she was buried at Westview Cemetery. She was mentioned one time again, I think in the 1970s, there was a small blip for Women's History Month, of course, in the AJC, um, where they mentioned her, but I've never seen her name mentioned again. And so there you have it, the story of three women from Atlanta's history for Women's History Month. I am pretty excited about this series. I hope to cover some many more. If you have some you want to share, please send me a message. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Remember to leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen to the podcast. Um, There's also a Patreon link in the show notes where you can support the work. Hope everyone has a great weekend and I'll talk to you next week.